Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for tuning into the show and welcome. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. I am so happy to have you here. So this has been quite a hectic season for yours truly. <laughs> we have been doing all of the events, we've been doing all of the things, the show has been going full speed ahead and it has been really really incredible. And every week on this show I usually ask our guests what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? But I'm starting to find myself in more and more situations where I'm starting to ask myself that question where I'm going Les, what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? Because if I can be totally honest with y'all, lately I have been feeling like a very unbalanced black girl. And I realized that even though my work is important to me and the show is important to me and supporting you all and what we create here is important, if I don't take time to actually take care of myself, which I will be honest, I haven't been doing for quite some time, that's a problem. And I really need to be walking the walk in what I do and what I share. And I can't necessarily be so focused on creating and sharing at the expense of actually taking care of myself, which is the basis of what this show and platform is all about. I share that with you just to say that I think finding balance and figuring out what balance means to us at all different stages of life is something that we are all working. Monique, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. And I am so excited to be here. This is I'm just I've been looking forward to this all day. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I've been looking forward to having you. So for our listeners who are just meeting you, can you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, where you're from and what you do? OK, great. That's a great question. I am from the Midwest. So I am definitely like Midwest, St. Louis. No, I never met Nellie. <laughs> But, um, or the St. Lunatics. No, do not, do not know them. But uh, I, uh, my husband and I are high school sweethearts. We met in weightlifting class and it's like been amazing ever since we have two kids, two beautiful, like black girl magic to the T black boy joy. Like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) I just love them. And I, um, I, now I live on the East coast and that's why I'm like, take a nap before this, this podcast interview (laughs) (laughs) on West coast time. But uh, I, in my business, what I do is I have the opportunity and responsibility of being an anti-racism educator. So I focus primarily on creating, experiences specifically around white women um, geared towards white women to engage in anti-racism learning how to identify and eliminate racism where they are and with what they have and I do speaking I do classes I have a book my book is not about anti-racism my book is actually about how to build business relationships so I love listening to your episodes about relationships because I'm like yes yes (laughs) Yes, again. Uh, yeah, so that's just a little bit about me. I'm my wife. I'm a mom. I'm a business owner. I'm very sassy. I love sequence. Um, it's a part of my everyday, well, not everyday, but it's definitely a part of my weekly wardrobe for yes. sure. I love it. So I want to talk to you about literally everything that you just introduced us to. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I got now. my water. I'm like, let's do it. Yes, all of the things, sequence included, because I love sequence as well. Yeah, sequence, <laughs> sequence is literally like a life. You have to learn how to wear that. It's like a yeah. life skill. You know, Absolutely. like you need to have that. <laughs> <laughs> so I am very curious what uh, brought you to and inspired you to work in the anti-racism space. Oh, man, that or woman. <laughs> Look, I don't <laughs> gender neutral. OK, yes. so um, <laughs> no, that's a good thing. That's, that's not a funny. That's a, that's not... <laughs> no, it is. It's good. It's... How are we going to do this? How are we going to get through this? OK, so um, I started my entrepreneurial 
career as a professional makeup artist. That's why my eyebrows like are so flawless when I put my makeup on. I was a makeup artist for about 10 years and then I had kids and decided that I wanted to do something that I could do from home. And so I started doing marketing and brand development because I knew marketing, all that good stuff. And I, while I was doing marketing and brand development, a lot of, for, for small businesses, a lot of the work started going towards, okay, diversity, inclusion, how do we make sure that our business is diverse and all of that. And so I started speaking. I also started working with clients on that. And then right alongside that, my son was getting a little older, right around the shootings, a lot of the national shootings, nationally publicized shootings of unarmed black men was happening. And so I just began to open my eyes a lot more to the target on my son's back Mm. and realizing that, oh my goodness, like I have to do something with what I have and where I am. So I first just started writing about it. Like I started sharing about it on Facebook and I started sharing about it on Instagram and on my blog and I got a lot of backlash. I was, I was actually really surprised by it. And looking back, I'm like, Oh, you were so naive, but I was really surprised to get the amount of backlash that I, that I received. And it really, um, discouraged me so much that I kind of retreated from writing and using my voice in that way. I was still going to events and speaking on the topic occasionally, but it wasn't until November of actually 2018 where I said, okay, this is actually what I'm going to do and focus on. And then this year I'm like, this is the focus of my business. So everything in my business has changed. Like I've stopped taking business coaching clients. I'm just focusing on anti-racism. Like if someone was to meet me now, they would think that's all I've ever done. Cause that's all <laughs> I talk about all the time. So, but it's really come from a place of recognizing that it's my calling. So I'm a woman of faith. I believe in Jesus. Like that's, that's the, the the lens that I operate from. And so about 10 years ago, I actually received a prophetic word that I would bridge the gap that divides white and black. Mm. And at the time I was like, okay, hallelujah. And then, you know, <laughs> went home and didn't really think about it. But again, like right around, you know, 2015, 2016 is when I started, you know, recognizing, wow, this really is what I need to be stepping into. And so just over the years, I've realized that I have such a gift in this space. And so I realized it's a calling. I realized that it's my responsibility to my ancestors and to our future generation. They deserve better. And I believe that also just being a black woman and using my voice, however, I feel like I want to use it is my prerogative. And that's, this is how I get to do it. And, and I believe that not you know, not every woman of color or a black person or person of color should have to be a, a, a educator in this space. And if they choose to, they should be paid to do it. So yep. here I am. Oh, my goodness. So there's so much within that that I want to dive into deeper because that is it, you just have an incredible story. And I think that part of it that is so relatable, I'm sure, for a lot of black women is that motherhood piece of if you're a yeah. black mother and you have a child looking around at the world that they're in and understanding some of the implications of how our society treats people like us and what that what that means and the fact that you have been able to turn that into such an empowering educational piece is incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I tell you something about motherhood for me, because I know not everyone wants to be a mom. Some people are trying to be a mom or whatever the, you know, the case may be. But I know for me, motherhood was the catalyst to open my eyes to the depths of the pervasiveness of racism. And when I began writing my second book, well, not began, but when I got serious this year about finishing my second book, that was the segue into the next level of where I am. And I think that all of us have something that happens in us at any time in our lives that wake that just is an awakening for us to see the next level of where we're supposed to go, whatever that may be. And for me, it was anti-racism work. Yeah, which is incredible. And another piece that I want to touch on from when you shared your story with us is that you basically said that it's not necessarily the job of every black person, every person of color to do anti-racism work, but for the ones who do, 
should be treated well and compensated for that, which I absolutely believe. I'm like, as as a black person who does not necessarily want to take on the role of yeah. educating our white peers, I'm like, I have nothing but the utmost respect and admiration for what you do and what you take on with that. And so I'm just curious, what has that experience been like for you building a business around the space of anti-racism and being in a business where a lot of your customers or a lot of the people that you are teaching to and talking to are white people who are probably pretty resistant to your message? Like, What has that experience been like for you? Oh, that's a good one. Okay. When I first started writing and talking about it, I was not charging for my time. Mm. I was not charging for my emotional labor. And I didn't appreciate the value that I brought. Because part of doing the work of anti-racism is realizing that we as Black people, we as people of color have to also dismantle the internalized white supremacy. We like talk, the toxicity of racism does not only infiltrate white people. Mm -hmm. It also, we breathe that in. And so my own anti-Blackness bias was affecting the way that I even saw the value that I brought to the table in this work. Mm -hmm. And it was really in learning more about that and realizing that, no, I'm not doing this. There's no way that I'm doing this and not charging for the value that I bring because my my formal education, like higher, like the grad school and, and all of that, is in psychology and sociology and mental health. So I have formalized education, student loans that I need to pay. So you're, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get that for free. Yeah. But I also realize that a lot of people don't understand that part of that part of charging is a form of a resi- of resistance is a form of saying you don't get to consume me at your will and whenever you see fit and for free or anything like that. I tell people all the time, my ancestors did enough for free. I don't do, I don't do any of that for free. And it's very dehumanizing to think that I'm supposed to tell you everything that you want to know and then, all right, see you later. Because when you have to invest in something, you're more likely to commit to the work itself. And so nothing that I do is cheap. Um, I think that I have levels to things that are more accessible, but I also feel like coming from the space of doing marketing and brand development for small businesses, there was no way I was going to go back and start charging hardly nothing when I know that if people will invest $5,000 for just a couple months of my service to help their business, certainly they will invest $60 for a class to learn about how to be a decent human being. So I think that it's just been this process of me being able to recognize the value that I bring and not wavering. When people tell me they don't have the money for it, okay, go find it. Go ask somebody to help you pay for it or go save up for it or do what you need to do. But don't use that as an excuse to not invest in this work. And maybe I'm not the best choice right now. However, I still encourage you to do the work because there are a lot of different places you can show up and learn that don't cost what my things cost, but there's no way I'm working for free. And I tell people that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Not only for the value of what the work that you're doing is. And I mean, I love how you explained that just now where you kind of created that contrast of if people are willing to pay XYZ to get their business built, then, you know, paying this much to learn how to be a better human being literally is a dang good deal, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, But also the emotional labor that you take on. And there's no um, amount of money that can offset emotional labor. No. However, Mm -hmm at least knowing that you were being like valued, appreciated and compensated for what you are willing to put forth is more than reasonable to ask for. Yeah, because I get to decide the boundaries. I create the rules. I get to say, this is when this starts and this is when this stops. So when people take my classes online, like my 60 minute classes, I let them know that any questions you have outside of this class, 
don't email me and ask me to unpack them unless you plan to pay me because this is the time that you've paid for. It's right here. Outside of that, it's another offering that you're going to have to invest in. So I get to say when and what and how far I'm going to go. And that, again, is my form of resistance in saying, you know what? My ancestors didn't have ownership over their bodies. They couldn't even own the own babies that grew within their their wound. You better be damn sure I'm not getting ready to just say you can have access to me whenever you want and how often you want and for whatever you want. I'm going to put boundaries in place, and especially because this work is so incredibly brutal. Yes, absolutely. And piggybacking off of that a little bit more, I would really love to talk to you about just the the mental emotional toll that that type of work takes, you know, for someone like you whose work really is an anti-racism or even for people whose work may not be in it, but they are still constantly in situations where they are carrying that burden, which I think is a lot of people. Yeah. So I, you're in a very interesting position where you work in this space, but you also do have a background in psychology and mental health. And so I'm wondering, what, what do you do to take care of you when the work that you do is so emotionally taxing? And for other people who might be in a similar position, what do you recommend they do to still keep themselves feeling whole and well doing such emotionally taxing work? That's a great question. And there's a lot of things. The first thing I think is important is to realize that you are in relationship with yourself. Yeah. And I believe that life is about relationships. That's the relationship that we have in our faith. And if you don't have a faith system, so skip to the second one, the relationship (laughs) you have with yourself. Like Mm -hmm. if you listen to this, you are a person. So, or you could be an animal, but the whole point is, (laughs) (laughs) or a plant, who knows? But the point is you, you have a relationship with you and realizing that I need to know myself in order to take care of myself is a part of self-care. If I know this makes me feel this way, this makes me feel good, this makes me feel cared for, then I get to be the one that's in charge of inviting that in my life. I don't put the responsibility on anyone else to monitor or to manage or to nurture my self-care. With that being said, because I am a relationship with myself, I also bring that relationship into other relationships with other human beings. And so it's important that I have boundaries and with, especially with this work, I have to have boundaries that protect my heart. And so I have red flags that I'm able to see when I'm in relationship with people that allows me to know that I either need to opt out of that relationship or just the proximity of that relationship. But in knowing who I am, respecting myself enough to honor my boundaries is a form of self-care. Because again, if I know a certain relationship is not good for me, but still engaging in that relationship, that's not respecting myself. That's not respecting the relationship that I have with myself. And I think another part of this is realizing that you deserve to be cared for. Yes. Self-care shouldn't be an option. Self-care, just I know for me as a mother, my children every single day are fed because they need to eat. Like I take care of them. That is a part of my responsibility. So why would I not take the time to take care of myself when I go with me everywhere I go? Like I'm with me everywhere. My kids are not. And I cannot show up for anyone if I'm not showing up for myself. So it's just realizing that I deserve self-care. I deserve to know who I am and to do what fills me up. Some of the practical ways that I engage in self-care is being very mindful of what I'm dwelling on in my thoughts Mm. and making sure that those thoughts are affirming to the reality that I want to create in my life. And it doesn't mean that I control my thoughts all the time because I could think something right now and be like, what in the world? Why do you think that? It's not (laughs) about necessarily controlling your thoughts, but it's also about monitoring how long you entertain that thought and recognizing where thoughts are coming from, recognizing your emotions. So being very introspective um, and also just being very mindful of the, the type of expectations that I'm putting on myself, being a mom, there are so many different 
ideologies of what motherhood is supposed to look like, but I get to decide what motherhood is is like because I'm the mama. I I get to decide what the life that we want to look like as a mom and as a family, me and my husband, that's on us to figure that out. So I think a lot of the expectations and pressure that we put on ourselves comes from these external messages and places that we don't even want. We don't even want to live up to. So a lot of self-care to me is just embodying who I am and really embracing that, discovering, being curious about who I am, and then having the courage to do the things that actually fill me up, even if they scare me, even if I'm nervous, even if it's out of my comfort zone. So I'm going out of the country and staying for a week in a a place I don't even speak the language. I'm like, how are we getting around, y'all? Like, none of y'all speak Spanish. What are we doing? You know, so it's like, we gonna be fine. So it's just, it's being real, being committed to this relationship that I have with me and caring for me, paying attention to my own inner needs. And and so if something is hurting me, asking myself, why does that hurt versus, you know, suppressing it or ignoring it or telling myself, oh, it should be this way. But when it's, when it's not that way. And so it's a lot of just a lot of the, it's a lot of mental, but then just the, the regular everyday thing, making sure I'm getting rest, making sure I exercise, I exercise like six days a week because that's a part of my self-care and it's also part of my mental like I love how I feel after a good workout so it's a lot of things but I think to sum it up it's just realizing that you are in relationship with you and part of being in a relationship with anyone is getting to know them and when you get to know someone you honor them and you respect them and you create boundaries and you do things that fill that person up and you do things to support them so it's do that for yourself be that for you that's so important Mm. So many things that you just said, I want to like really drive home also for myself because I'm like, I also need to hear this. But the idea (laughs) of being in a relationship with yourself, man, I honestly have never thought about it that way. But it is so true, so powerful, so resonant. Um, Even the piece, you know, and I think for a lot of people, I'm not a mother, but I have a lot of friends who are and a lot of people in my life who are mothers who will very much put their own care aside. And that point that you said about like, yes, it is absolutely your job to take care of your children and make sure that they are cared for, but you take yourself everywhere with you and they're not, they're not always with you. You are always Mm -hmm. with you. And so still staying whole for yourself in that respect was just super, super powerful. And, um, I just I really want to make sure that people got to hear that again, because it's was a really wonderful statement. Oh, thank you so much. It's so and this is years of I've been a mom for almost a decade, you know, and so it's like this is years of intentionally finding out because prior to motherhood, I didn't really investigate myself. I didn't really I didn't really. I took for granted a lot of things and I didn't realize how much I needed certain things until those things were like not as readily available to me because motherhood stretches you in so many ways. So it's like you can decide to succumb to your reality and and be miserable and be resentful or you can make the best of it and still find joy. And so I've, I've just grown a lot in this and still continue to grow and intentionally invest in growth. And it's just like staying curious about myself is so important versus judging myself, but being mm-hmm. curious. It's it's a very, it's a big difference. Yes. Curiosity over judgment. That's so good. So good. <laughs> so I am curious, um, just also kind of along the same lines of motherhood and the work that you do, um, how you also talk to your kids about anti-racism work and and what that looks like and how to talk to children and make them aware of these things. I mean, I think we've all, as black people, remember those times where our parents have talked to us about certain things that maybe we can or can't do or ways that we are perceived. Um, I mean, I definitely know that I remember having conversations when I was young with my parents about it. But for you as a professional in this space, I'm wondering how you approach that. Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, today I just taught a class on how to talk to kids about race. And it was from the perspective of talking to white kids about race. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a very different conversation than what we have with black kids and um, brown kids and kids of color. 
I, my kids are young. They're six and nine. So mm-hmm. they're still, you know, yeah. very young. Yeah. But we began talking to my son. He's the oldest when he was about three mm-hmm. about interacting with police. Yeah. And I'll, I'll yeah. never forget forget we were at a restaurant one time we had just told him about raising his hands up when he's around a police officer and we he walked past the police officer in the restaurant and he just puts his hands up and oh I'm like gosh. oh my gosh poor oh. baby you know but yeah. I mean that, that that's that's our part of our reality it is. and and so um it's a mixture of very just honest explicit truth yeah coupled with reassurance of you have a voice. You don't deserve to be treated that way. You can speak out. You can come to mommy and tell me anything. I am going to step in and advocate for you always, always, always will. Um, so it's a combination of this is a part of your history and this is the reality that we live in now. And this is what you can do with what you have. And so part of just doing what, doing what you can do, what, what you have is first learning that you have a voice yeah. that you get to say, I don't like that. Or so, mm-hmm. so for example, with my son, he told me the other day that someone in his class tries to touch his hair. And I said, what'd you do? He said, I told him to stop. I said, good, because you should say that this is your body and yep. you, you're not an animal. You, you don't need to be pet. Mm-hmm. And so, um, he's, and he's like, you know, he understands. So we teach them the definition of racism. Yeah. Um, we, we teach them about, um, their history. We teach my, my, I just, I have a card deck of African-American heroes that I was like, here, you need to start studying these, mm-hmm. um, so you can learn more about your history. And, you know, we subscribe to, um, because of them, we can, they have a monthly box that sends out things about current and past, um, black h- historical figures. And so it's a combination of teaching them their, their character, their history and, and, and enjoy, like enjoying and rejoice, not enjoying, re- and what am I trying to say? Embracing <laughs> and rejoicing yeah. and the, the, the good and also the, the painful, um, knowing the pain and yeah. realizing that from that pain, look how far and how amazing and how empowering we are as a race and as a, as a culture. And it's our responsibility to continue the work. So my daughter told me the other day that mommy, when I get older or not, when I get older, she said, mommy, when I next year for a show and tell, which poor little thing don't know, she don't have show and tell next year, but <laughs> I, that's another thing. I can't break it to her, yeah. but she said, mommy, I'm going to, I'm not going to bring a toy next time. I'm going to teach my class about racism. Oh. I said, Oh, that's so good. You're going to teach them, you know? And so, I encourage them to talk about race and to call it out and to, and to not feel like they're saying a bad word if they say that white kid over there, or if they, you know, say, but it's also been correcting. Like my daughter is going on the wrong, it's going in the wrong direction a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. she's, she's like, you know, saying things like she don't want no white friends. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not where we're trying to go. No. So, you know, I, but I can see why you could feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but you do need to be careful in picking your friends in general, yep. you know, but when it comes to interracial relationships, there are some things that your white friends are going to need to know and to understand. And I did a whole podcast interview with my son about talking about anti-racism. So we just talk about it. We yeah. really, we talk about it and, um, we, it's, it's sometimes it, it still feels very heartbreaking that we have to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember one day we were talking to our son about, what to do if he gets picked up by a police. Um, and we were telling him about, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And make sure you, you know, you do this, don't do that. And I remember just wanting to burst out in tears for having to have that conversation with him. And I just looked at my husband and we just, you know, looked at each other and then we just, you know, got it together. But it's, it does feel like you are, um, chipping away at their innocence, Mm -hmm. but, there's no innocence in the reality that we live in. There's yeah. no innocence to to there at all. And a lot of times white people want to try to preserve their children's innocence, which is so unfair because it makes reality even more dangerous for my children. Yeah. So it's just it's a combination of like knowing the pain and knowing the knowing the power. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Honestly, there were so many just good pieces of wisdom there that I really really appreciate 
you sharing with us because it is hard. How do you maintain like those harsh realities, but still allowing them to kind of keep their joy and not not wanting to, you know, scare them or freak them out. But it's it's a, a fine line. It is. Yeah. So we have lots of dance sessions. I twerk <laughs> regularly. Um, you know, yeah. so we have fun. We have yes. a lot of fun. My kids aren't walking around here like, oh, woe is me. I'm no. black. Oh, uh-huh. no. You know, but they also aren't going to be naive. I'll yeah. tell you that. They're yeah. not going to be like, oh, you know, we don't know. Oh, my gosh. Racism. No, no, no. You're not about to be naive. Not mm-hmm. in here. No, mm-hmm. no. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's really important. It is. So you mentioned earlier when you um, first started sharing vocally about anti-racism work and, you know, writing about it, sharing it on social media, receiving some backlash. And I am curious, as you have continued throughout this work, um, what your experience with that has been? Has that evolved over time? Have you had maybe personal relationships that have, you know, changed or evolved as a result of the work that you do? And and. How have you managed that? Look, I feel like I have to take a deep breath with every question. (laughs) Like, Uh, you know, yes, relationships have evolved. Relationships have adjusted in proximity. Relationships have ended. And a lot of times it's not even been because I've said, hey, I want to end this relationship with you. It's been white people just disappearing, like just ghosting on me. Um, close, close friends, you know, so that's been painful. That was painful. The the painful thing is when you realize that your blackness is not safe in a relationship that you assume that it was, Yeah. when you come to realize that reality, you can either decide to accept it as what it is and move forward in a way that is affirming to you and is dignifying and um, for your best interest, or you can deny it and try to make that relationship work by shrinking back and trying to compartmentalize your blackness. And I've decided that I won't do that. I won't choose a relationship over my whole self. If I can't be Monique, your black friend, then we can't be friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that has definitely been a painful absolutely painful, um, part of this work, but it's also been very liberating because now the close people to me, especially when it comes to white people, um, I had a voice message from a friend today that after I listened to it, I was like, those are, this is the kind of white people I I kick it with because of, you know, how she addressed a certain issue. And so I, I feel like right now I have this like, invisible quiz that I give randomly throughout the early parts of the a new relationship with white people for me to see how close I can allow myself to get to them. If they, if they miss two out of the three, I know that we can't go far and that is okay with me. Yeah. That's okay with me. But the backlash, um, it was definitely surprising to get a lot of emails from people who were Christians. Mm. For some reason I was drinking the Kool-Aid and thinking that if you're a Christian, you would see the pain and want to be a part of the solution. But I was painfully mistaken, at least with the Christians that I engage with. And I've yet to find a collective of Christians that I feel safe with my blackness. Um, and so that, that part has been painful too. We've even left our church. Um, you know, and that was hard. I mean, I'm like, I'm like Jesus girl, like we should pray about this at like five, you know? So that's always been such a big part of my identity. And so even deciding to leave our church was a huge, um, painful process as well. But for right, like right now, what I do, especially when I get comments and things like that, I don't internalize it. Like I used to, you know, when I would get crazy questions and just ridiculous things, I would try to, you know, go back and forth with people. But now my rule is, is I don't do that because that's emotional labor and I get paid for that. So Um, And and when I break my rule, which I recently broke it with someone who has a pretty large platform, I ended up just feeling like exhausted and abused. And I was like, see, Monique, this is why you don't do this. 
This is why you don't do this. She don't care nothing about you. She will probably never care anything about you. And here you have given her so much. And what do you have now? You just, you feel, you feel, you feel horrible. So, um, that, that process has just been, it's been hard. It's been painful, but what's come out of it is a lot of learning my boundaries that I need to have for myself and not taking those for granted. Yeah. Well, first I have to say that I really appreciate you sharing and being so open with sharing that with us because that is painful and realizing that, you know, people in your life are just not, um, not necessarily who you think they are and, and realizing, you know, I've also had those moments where I realized like, Oh, my blackness makes people that I thought I was close to feel uncomfortable, which Mm -hmm. is my existence makes people that I thought I was close to feel uncomfortable. And those moments are so, so hard. And I just really appreciate you being open and sharing that with us. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot of intentionally pursuing relationships that I don't have to be the sole one that's pursuing it. You know, like there's there's a part of me that felt like I had to do whatever it took to keep people in my life. And now I'm like, if you want to be here, you got to do your part, too. Yeah, absolutely. 50 50. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a brief pause in between questions because we have got to talk about our summer plans we are right in the middle of summer right now and we've got to be outside enjoying it y'all summer is meant to be enjoyed so during my free time this season i'm trying to spend as much time outside in the sun with my friends and a cold beverage in hand as possible I have been loving Soundcraft Seltzer and I've been bringing it to every party that I've gone to this summer. It's really my favorite drink because it's light, it's refreshing, and it's fermented from whole ingredients. I'm always down for the rosé flavor, but lately I've also been really loving the cucumber flavor as well because it is super refreshing and I love that all flavors are made from fresh pressed ingredients. You can find Soundcraft Seltzer at your local grocery store and at the Woods Tasting Room. And Soundcraft Seltzer is also available outside of the state of Washington. So you can head to their website at soundseltzer.com, look up the store locator so that you can find Sound Seltzer near you. So something else that I want to talk to you about, and we kind of touched on this earlier at the beginning when we were first kind of talking about uh, anti-racism work um, is anti-racism work amongst us black people and internalized racism and how that can kind of manifest and what that looks like, which honestly could be a whole, not even a podcast episode, but just a podcast in and of itself with many episodes <laughs> and many seasons. A um, whole just life. <laughs> it is, exactly, exactly. But I, I would love to just touch on that a, a bit um, because I think it is something that is really important and it's something that each and every one of us still has to be aware of and examine within ourselves. And that is not to say that even if you as a black person experienced internalized racism or do your own anti-blackness works, that you are bad or don't love yourself or don't love your people. It's about really understanding that when it comes to racism, it's not necessarily a set of behaviors. It is a system. And even those of us who are oppressed by it are still impacted and internalized some of the beliefs that that system gives us. Um, exactly. And so I would just love to just talk about that a little bit with you about maybe if there are some kind of ways that internalized racism manifests that are a bit more common than others and, and maybe what we can do as individuals as we do our work um, around anti-blackness, even for ourselves as black people, kind of what we can do to really be aware and, and start doing that work for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it, it has a lot to do with examining your actions and realizing that our actions are motivated by how we think and feel. And so when we want to investigate why we are doing what we're doing, there's going to be a belief that is associated with it that often is, in many cases, when we're talking about anti-blackness, rooted in white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And so 
thinking about just like our hair, for example, why do we look at our hair a certain way or why do we treat our hair a certain way? Why do we feel a certain way about our hair and why is this hair okay and this hair is good, this hair is bad? Like where does that come from? And getting curious about why do I believe that? Why do I believe or why do I feel afraid or nervous in certain neighborhoods? Why do I check my locks to make sure that they're locked when I'm driving down certain streets? You know, just getting curious about why you are doing what you're doing. And then another really important one is making sure that you are not centering whiteness. Yeah. And part of not centering whiteness is being bold about who you are. You know, if you find yourself feeling afraid to say something, you have to ask yourself, who are you afraid of? Who are you afraid it's going to have a reaction? Who are you afraid of offending? And I got a, I get a lot of policing of, of my voice, not as much now, but in the past, because people probably are just like, she's just not going to change. And you're right. I'm, I'm not going to stop um, speaking my truth. And, um, but there's a lot of the policing and you see the policing, even uh, black people policing other black people and their mm -hmm. voices. Yeah. Um, and so why don't you say it like this? Or, and I'm like, no, actually I, I choose not to make the way that white people feel the focal of my um, narrative. Mm -hmm. And so realize when we are centering whiteness, what it means to center whiteness. And another part of dismantling that internalized racism is realizing that a lot of the ways that we see ourselves has a lot to do with our conditioning and belief that we are inferior, that there is something wrong with us, that there is something that needs to be fixed, that we need to be more like this white this construct of whiteness in order to be valuable. And so we have to start begin looking at the way that we look at money and the way that we sometimes associate our value with money. You know, we have to look at the way that we are raising our children, beating our children and spanking them and deciding that that's what they need in order to shape up. Where is that coming from? That comes from slavery. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to understand why we are doing the things we're doing, telling one another, you know, um, negative things about our skin and, and colorism. Where is these, where are these things coming from you have to get curious and it's it can be very overwhelming it can be very challenging a lot of defensiveness can come up with that um, but asking yourself why are you more prone to trust something coming from a white person versus a person of color why are you more more willing to um, allow white people to get away with things that you wouldn't allow a black person to get away up, get away with, especially like in terms of businesses, you'll, yep. you know, uh, not give a black business any type of grace if they make a mistake, but yet you'll keep going to Neiman Marcus, even though they might mess up in here and there. So it's like, mm -hmm. we have to really investigate ourselves and be willing to say, wow, I have taken in a lot of this and not judge yourself, yeah. not judge yourself or the one who is pointed it out in you. Mm -hmm. You know, don't don't kill the messenger. This is a, this is a liberation. Yeah. This is an opportunity to be set free. And, you know, you might investigate and, and decide that you want to continue doing a behavior because it's not rooted in a white supremacist belief. But a lot of times because of our, our country being rooted and founded on white supremacy, a lot of it is intermingled and we have to begin to detach from that. And that comes with exploration and studying your history and knowing this whole narrative of being the strong black woman that comes from racism, that yes. comes from white supremacy, that comes from the dehumanization of black women. So when we can, can realize that those type of things are actually oppressive to us, they dehumanize us, we can begin to um, embody something that is more powerful and liberating for us and for our people. So it's, it's definitely a process of just being curious about why you are doing what you're doing. Yes, I think that approaching approaching it with curiosity and a, a space of non-judgment for yourself and for others is just such good it's such good advice because it allows us to really get to the root cause of these beliefs without without internalizing them even further. I mean, obviously, with these behaviors and with these beliefs, yes, if we're doing them, like they are within us, but without blaming ourselves for exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because you're not going to get anywhere with that. No. Mm -mm. no. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for that. I think that that yeah. was... That was super helpful and insightful, even for me. I really appreciated that. And being able to ask yourself those questions, I think, is a really yeah. good practice. And and just realizing that this whole notion of you know, you know working around the clock and not giving ourselves breaks and not taking time to enjoy life, 
that comes from slavery. So it's just like a lot of these things that we are doing and that we are engaging in willfully have just come from conditioning that has been passed down through the trauma of our ancestors. And, And we don't have to continue to embody that and pass that on to our children. Nope, we don't. Oh my goodness. I love, love, love the discussion that we just had there. That was so good. (laughs) So, yes. So Monique, I am actually really excited to ask you this next question because it is my favorite question that I always ask people. Okay. Um, And that is what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that because I listen. <laughs> I listened to your podcast, <laughs> so I was like, you know, the word "balanced" is one that I often say. You know, balance is a myth, mm-hmm. and um, here I am on a podcast called ba- "Balanced Black Girl." So I'm like, <laughs> can I really speak my truth? Yeah. So um, speak it, but, hey. But you know, I believe that balance is a myth in the traditional sense of how we have perceived balance. Um, I think that is about harmony. Mm -hmm. And when I think about a choir, for example, and, you know, I was raised in the Baptist church. And so we had tambourines and soprano and alto and tenor and all those kind of folks, but it was like five people in a choir. So, you know, we, we had, if you think about a a choir, you have your sopranos, you have your altos and all of that. And sometimes the sopranos are going to get the solo Mm -hmm. and sometimes the alto, sometimes everyone's going to come together, but it all can make a beautiful sound. And so to me, harmony, is going to look like sometimes my business is getting more of my attention today. Whereas other times my family may be getting more of my attention, or sometimes we're just going to be mixing it all together. But ultimately it's choosing to be intentional about what I'm doing with my time and my energy and realize that it doesn't have to look the same or appear to be measured on the same sense of time or capacity each day and each moment, because that's just not realistic. It's it's just as real as Santa Claus and it just doesn't (laughs) exist. Um, But so that's part of what it means to be a balanced black girl. But then it also to me means to fully investigate and acknowledge and affirm and know who I am as a black woman and to embrace that and to invite other black women to embrace that and to invite us into spaces and to opportunities where we can embrace that. So that's why, you know, I have this trip coming up to Madrid where it's like so much black girl magic and Mm -hmm. I have sponsors that are allowing folks to come. Like, it's just so, it's so cool. It's like, let's go and just have fun and enjoy life. And so to me, it's just like embodying the, the joy and the beauty, but also respecting and acknowledging my ancestors and those who have gone and paved the way, like the shoulders that I get to stand on, recognizing that that where I am has come from sacrifice and has come from the ultimate sacrifice. And part of honoring that is recognizing that and doing my best to continue the work on by how I've raised my children, how I care for myself and my family and the work that I put out in the world so that their efforts are not going to be in vain. So it's just definitely a combination of just like knowing that harmony and then embracing the good good and the the pain and all of that and knowing that and recognizing that and honoring that and not allowing anyone to have access to me who doesn't deserve it. Mm. Oh my goodness. You know, for someone who thinks that balance is a myth, I have like chills from how great that answer was. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that the choir analogy is just such a great depiction of it where it's like some people get or some areas of life you know get the spotlight and get the solo but they all work together to create that beautiful sound and I just I love that definition so y'all you are so full of compliments I can get used to this (laughs) like that's my love language words of affirmation and you have just affirmed me girl good you know (laughs) I have I've been about this show a bit I've I've talked to people about it and when they ask kind of why did you start it or what it what was the intention and I was like I honestly wanted to create a platform that just like gasses black women up like Girl, I I'm just, here for it <laughs> like that's just what I enjoy doing and that is what I like chose to do and I love giving people compliments that are 
real I just call it like I see it you know so that's how I you know what I said exact same thing when people I give them a compliment I'm like I am just telling you the truth yes okay <laughs> like if you see something good in someone why wouldn't you tell them why wouldn't exactly. you you know put that out there exactly like why keep that to myself that's yeah. foolish exactly because <laughs> we all appreciate receiving it so exactly mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't let people be like, oh, no. I'm like, no, accept yeah. that compliment. Yes. You know, accept that. Exactly. And, and feel that in your body. Yes. Internalize <laughs> it. Save it for yeah. those days. It might be a little bit tougher. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, Monique, this was incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Please tell our audience where they can keep in touch Um Everyone needs to also listen to your podcast, The Shine Brighter Together Show. Can you tell us a little bit more about that as well, if there's listeners who haven't tuned in yet? Yeah, so it's brand new. It is brand spanking new. (laughs) It's the Shine Brighter Together podcast, and that's where I explore the challenges and the complexities and sheer joy. That's my intro. Sheer joy (laughs) of building healthy relationships and doing the heart work for true diverse unity. (laughs) That's, that's what I say on the intro, but, uh, (laughs) but you know, it's a place where I get to talk about the things that really matter to me and to me relationships is that's everything right next to Mm anti-racism. So you put those two together, you're in for a good time. Um, so that is, where podcasts is or not podcasts is, that's not a word um <laughs> it's late okay it's late um you were too no you're good <laughs> whatever yeah. but that, you can find it wherever you can listen to a podcast yes. um folks can find me on the internet streets at moniquemelton.com I am on Instagram at Mo Motivate, M-O-E Motivate. Um, I have a lot of different ways for folks to engage in the work of anti-racism from either classes that are like the 60-minute class or my 10-week program, uh, my in-person experiences. There's a lot of ways to engage in this work, and I would just encourage you to look into them and see which one is the best fit for you. Amazing. And we will make sure that we have all of that linked in the show notes, um, your website, as well as social media, where folks can listen to the podcast and where people can check out your courses, because it is all wonderful information. We want to make it super easy for everybody to find. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being here. I loved this conversation and loved getting to chat with you. Oh, this was so great. I'm so, so, I can't say so enough. My, my podcast <laughs> editor will like edit all the so's out, but I'm going to say I'm here because you're not going to do that. So, 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 so thank you so much for having me here. I had a great time. Absolutely.